As we've heard all week long, this past Sunday morning, a gunman entered the Pulse nightclub in Orlando shooting, leaving 49 dead and 53 Among those who were brutally killed were 18-year-old high school graduate Akira Murray, who was on a family vacation visiting her brother in Orlando. She graduated number three in her class from her Catholic school. Her mother said she wanted to go to college to study why violent criminals behave the way that they do and what causes them to commit evil. 30-year-old Eddie Justice, who worked as an accountant, and the night of his murder, he texted his mother saying that he was in the bathroom and he was scared because the gunman was coming in. 21-year-old Corey Cannell, who was just leaving Pulse with his girlfriend as the gunman came in shooting. His girlfriend made it out, but he didn't. Corey Cannell was a college graduate who was training to be a firefighter. 49-year-old Brenda McCool, who had 11 kids, beat cancer twice, and attended the club that night to go dancing with her son, who survived. 29-year-old Antonio Brown, who was a captain in the U.S. Army Reserve and a graduate of Florida A&M University. 35-year-old Xavier Rosado, who was a Disney performer and left behind a young son. These are just six of the 49 people whose lives were brutally taken. For they were murdered just one week ago in the deadliest mass shooting in modern American history. 49 people who were someone's son, who were someone's daughter, who were someone's child. 49 people who were someone's sibling, someone's parent, someone's friend. 49 people who had their lives violently snatched away from Words are unable to convey the deep sadness of the state of our world. Tragedy after tragedy. Chaos and calamity. It seems as if things are only getting worse. So how do we respond? This week, all you had to do was cut on the news to hear how we were supposed to respond. Some suggested that we need to tighten our borders. Some suggested that we need to take the fight straight to ISIS. Some suggested that we outlaw guns, right? Everyone's suggestion seemed very different. But what I was impacted by this week is how does the Christian respond? Do we huddle back in our nice little tight-knit community believing that the world is going to hell and at least we aren't? Do we simply wait until the day that Jesus brings us to live in harmony with God at the end of our days? Do we believe that we have special favor with God and thank God that these things aren't happening to us? Do we cower wondering why things are different? Do we run away and retreat to God away from the suffering of the world, attempting to find shelter under God's wings? We join the psalmist. In Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and have sorrow in my heart? How long? 
Will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust. In your unfailing love, my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing of the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. You know, the most often written commandment in the Bible is do not fear, or do not be afraid. Will we run away from the suffering of the world and cower in fear? Or will we stand firm and attempt to live faithfully in the midst of tragedy after tragedy, chaos and calamity? In today's reading out of 1 Kings, Elijah, faced with a very similar situation, chooses to run away and cower. Elijah, like most of us, is exhibiting deep discouragement at the negative developments that he sees around him in the world. He looks around at his world and he is not just discouraged, he is dejected. His ministry seems like a failure, and now it is a danger to his health and his life, for Jezebel has threatened him. The text that Kevin just read for us, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Jezebel has told Elijah, you have 24 hours, and then I'm coming for you. How does Elijah respond? Elijah becomes afraid and runs for his life. I mean, wasn't this the same Elijah who called down fire from heaven? Just one chapter before, Elijah met with the evil king Ahab, and called him out, called him a troubler of Israel. Elijah responds when, the, when it's leveled back against him, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, King Ahab, because you have followed the commandments of, the, of Baal. You have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. Now therefore have all of Israel assemble at Mount Carmel, Send 450 prophets of Baal and 400 of Asherah, all who eat at Jezebel's table. So Elijah set down this challenge. Just one chapter before, he took off for his life. He set down a challenge, and he invited King Ahab and all the people of Israel to come together to Mount Carmel to meet God. And the invitation was extended specifically to the false prophets, the prophets of Baal. The Bible tells us there were 450 of them. And so they arrive at Mount Carmel, and the scene is set. Elijah went before the people and asked the question, How long will you go limpering between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow Baal. Elijah did not leave any other options. There were only two alternatives, follow God or follow Baal. Life or death. Freedom and deliverance or bondage and sin. The challenge is set. I'll call my God, you call yours. We'll each take a bull, cut it up as an offering, and ask God to send down fire, and whichever one answers is the true 
God. The challenge couldn't have been simpler, right? The God who answers by fire is the true God. Historically, God is often spoken of in the scriptures by fire. Moses in the burning bush. God speaks through the fire. The fire that leads the people of Israel through the wilderness. God is present in the fire. So the challenge begins. The prophets of Baal go first. It was only expected that they would go first since there were so many of them. And they began shouting all at once, 450 people. And they called on Baal from morning until noon. And nothing happened. So they brought out the dancers to start dancing around the altar. Still no response. So they carried on, shouting, praying, crying out. Still nothing. And so Elijah begins to taunt them. Elijah seemed to have a little sarcasm in him. And he says, Cry aloud. Surely he is God. Either he's meditating, or he has wandered away, or he's on a journey. Perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. Still no response. The NRSV version of the Bible translates this as he has wandered away. But the English Standard Version actually translates it as relieving himself. Right? So here Elijah is saying, maybe your God is relieving himself. Holidays. Hebrew and an Aramaic lexicon suggests that the verb could actually be translated as bowel movement. Okay? I didn't tell the early service that. I told them if they wanted to know to ask me later. So, Ruthanne and Jan, you're in the know now. Um, so, Elijah is obviously talking trash, right? Maybe your God is meditating. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's asleep. But Elijah was simply affirming that Baal is not coming. Then Elijah says, Come closer to me. And he makes a trench around the altar. And he puts the wood in order and then the bull on top of it. And then he says, fill four jars with water and dump them all over them. And they do it. And then he says, do it again. And they do it again. And then he says, a third time. And they do it again. To the point that water filled the trench. Water was everywhere. Then Elijah, with boldness and audacity and courage and conviction, calls on the God of Israel, the God of the entire universe, and the fire of God fell and consumed the burnt offering. The wood, the stones, the dust, and even the water was licked up out of the trench because of the holy fire from God. When the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord indeed is God. The Lord indeed is God. What a powerful moment. And, and and as I read that this week, I wrestled with how in the world does Elijah go from there one minute to running away from God, scared out of his mind, the next. What a difference. One moment, sarcastically mocking Baal worshippers about God relieving himself, and the next moment, running for his life. What a difference. What a contrast. What happened? And the more I thought about it this week, if we're completely honest, aren't we the same? We have these moments in life in which we shout up God's goodness from the rooftops and other times that we're consumed by fear about what tomorrow's going to bring. Elijah retreats into self-pity and seeks to escape from his responsibilities. 
Elijah voices his deep feelings to God that he has had enough of this ministry. He is done, utterly done, and wishes to die. Elijah's angry because he feels like he's being left alone with no other prophets around and that he's even being persecuted. So he comes to Mount Horeb, the place that Israel's story associates with the presence of God and the giving of the law. He goes to Mount Horeb to confront God face to God should have been taking better care of him. Elijah repeatedly claims that he has been zealous for the Lord. And God should have been taking better care of him. And so Elijah runs away to a cave on Mount Horeb, and God comes to him and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? He answers, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. I am the only one. And they're seeking my life to take it away. And God responds, Elijah, go. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass you by. And there was a great wind. And the wind was so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in places before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind came an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a still small voice. For the sheer sound of silence. Silence. God is not in the wind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in the silence translation could be interpreted as the sound of sheer silence. It could be translated as unmistakable sound. God came to Elijah in the silence. In Elijah's brokenness, in his fear, in his pain, in his anxiety, in his depression, God came to him. This is good news. God came to Elijah in silence. You know, what if silence is the loudest possible noise that our souls can comprehend? What if the pitch is too loud for us to handle? What if the noise of silence actually scares us? Maybe silence does make noise. Maybe silence is loud, drowning out everything around us and forcing us to live with ourselves and our own fears and our own anxieties and our own insecurities. God speaks in Silence. Are you cultivating enough silence in your life? For God speaks in silence. And so when Elijah hears it, he wraps his face in his mantle and he goes out and stands at the entrance of the cave and the voice came to him again and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah responds again, I've been very zealous for the Lord. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. I am the only one. And they're seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord responds to him. Go. Go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. God is persistent. God will not let Elijah be overcome by his anxiety and depression. God will not let Elijah run away from the trouble of the world. God will not let, leave Elijah alone. 
God reminds Elijah, go. I have called you to something, and you cannot give up. Just as God reminds us, go. I have called you to something, and you cannot give up. You have a purpose. You are my messenger. You are my hands, my feet, my ears, and my mouth. Get to work. I am counting on you to share my love in this community, in this world. Go. Just as God comes to Elijah in his hour of need, God comes to us in our hours of need as well. Elijah fled for his life to the wilderness to live out the rest of his days. Elijah, the prophet, who called fire down from heaven and was taken into heaven by a chariot, was afraid. Scripture actually tells us 365 times, do not fear or do not be afraid. You know, if we're honest, it's easy to look out at our world, at the Bible, at the despair, at the sickness, at the chaos, the calamities, the tragedy, the natural disasters. It's easy to look at, out even to our own individual circumstances and situations and to either become numb or to respond in fear. But we have a responsibility. Elijah is sent back out into the world, as are we. We have a responsibility to the world. As a Christian, a follower of of Christ, we have a responsibility to the sick and the suffering. We cannot ignore the suffering around us. God is depending on us to go. We could be like Elijah and attempt to hide in the shelter of God's presence. But God's question to us is the same as it was to Elijah. What are you doing here? You cannot live your life in the walls of my sanctuary. There is work to be done and I am counting on you. Like Elijah, God has work for us to do. We cannot cower or hide in fear. We cannot become numb to the suffering around us. God desires us to go. You and I. God meets with Elijah and sends him back out into the world that he might share God's message in the world. You know, it's easy to determine when something is on fire. If something is on fire, it ignites other material. Any fire that does not spread will eventually go out. recently celebrated Pentecost and God's holy fire coming down. I found myself this week reflecting that a church that focuses just on gathering and not on going out is a contradiction in terms. This is a fire that does not burn. Something is on fire, it ignites other materials. Any fire that does not spread will eventually go out. Are you burning with God's holy fire? 
It's the good news of God's love spreading to others through your life. You look around our world and see tragedy after tragedy, chaos and calamity. Do we retreat away from the suffering of the world and watch God's fire be extinguished in our lives? And do we engage the world? Do we share the love of God made known to us in Jesus Christ and therefore ignite?